0: Good morning. It is a wonderful story of love. That's why we're here, to give thanks to God for that wonderful story and to learn more about that wonderful story of love. Good morning to you. Our topic this morning is the the book of life. The book of life. Does God have a book? Does God have a record book of the names of all those that belong to Him? We know that we have God's book, the Bible. The Bible is called in Philippians 2 and 16, the Word of Life. But the question this morning is, does God have a book, a registry of names that he's recorded that has the names of those that belong to him. And we will make five observations about this topic, five observations. Number one, number one, such a book does exist. Such a book does exist. It is found in the Bible It is found in the Scriptures. Let me name a few of these Scriptures if you're taking notes. Luke 10, verse 20. Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Hebrews 12, 22 and 23. And a host of verses in the book of Revelation mention this book of life. Revelation 3 and verse 5. Revelation 13 verse 8, Revelation 17 verse 8, Revelation 20 and verse 12, Revelation 20 and verse 15, and Revelation 21 verse 27. Such a book does exist. For example, in Luke 10 and verse 20, Jesus says, Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And what about this one in Hebrews 12, 22 and 23, where the apostle there mentions the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. The church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. It is a book found in the scriptures, in the Bible, It is a book of a record. It is a a record of all the righteous who shall inherit eternal life, provided they remain faithful. You might glance at Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, where Paul mentions a Christian lady by the name of Euodia, and another Christian lady by the name of Syntyche, And he mentions a man there by the name of Clements and another man unnamed. And then he mentions several workers. He calls them fellow workers. And then he says, their names are in the book of life. And so such a book does exist. It's found in the scriptures and it is a record of the righteous. And it is a rare book. It is a rare book. Such a book does exist, and it is a rare book. I like to think about rare books. When you Google rare books, one children's book comes up again and again. It talks about a, the hungry caterpillar. I have up here what I consider a rare book, it's a translation of the Bible. From 1881, 1881, it's kind of in between the King James Version Translation of the 1600s and the American Standard Version of 1901, but this was a revised translation of the Bible put together by J.W. McGarvey and a few other men of the Gospel back in those Early days. Very rare to find it. And I was blessed to be able to um, get this book. And I'll tell you how. I'll tell you how. I'd forgotten until I looked at the front cover here. A man from Birmingham, a very religious man. He knew Jerome Thompson several years ago. The man was going through a divorce, very depressed state. He wanted to get rid of all of his library. And Jerome called me and said, he's going to get rid of his library. Let's see if we can go talk him out of it. But if not, let's see what he wants. And so we went down there and we spent some time with the man. And he ended up giving me this copy of the scriptures. This book of life that we're talking about this morning is a unique, rare book, one of a kind, not written by man, not written by any person, not written on on paper, it's not in digital form, it's written by God. We cannot, ourselves, we cannot put our names on this list, someone else cannot put our names on this list, okay? This is a record that only God uh, puts together. This is uniquely one of a kind. It is His book. It is His book. We use the book of life, the Bible, to discover more and more about the book of life. The book of life. And so our first observation this morning, such a book does exist. Our second observation together uh, this morning it is called the Lamb's Book of Life. You'll notice this phrase in Revelation 13 and verse 8, and also in Revelation 21 and verse 27. 21 27, 21, 27 talks about the heavenly city, okay. and that nothing is going to enter that heavenly city that is unclean. Nothing's going to enter that heavenly city which makes an abomination or makes a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay, so our second observation is, it is called the Lamb's book of life. Now, it is called the Lamb's book of life because... His blood, Jesus, is the Lamb. His blood makes it possible. Okay, Consider, please, and remind our, we remind ourselves, Jesus is the Lamb of God. John 1, 29. John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God. It is called the Lamb's Book of Life. Because His blood makes it possible. We're reminded of a statement in Revelation 7, 13 and 14. And there the question is asked, who are these? Who are these around the throne? Who are these uh, who, who are clothed in white? Okay. These are they, and the answer is given. These are they that have come out of a great tribulation. And they have had their robes washed and made white in the blood of the Lamb. So, it is called the Lamb's Book of Life. Because in the Book of Life are recorded the names of those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. His blood makes it possible, makes this book possible. It is called the Lamb's Book of Life also... Because His blood is so powerful. His blood is so powerful. Hebrews 10 in verse 4 says, It's impossible that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sin. What can take away sin? Whose blood can take away sin? Only the blood of Jesus. Because it is powerful. No regular person's blood can cover sin. No good person's blood can cover sin. Not even the blood of a faithful person, not even the blood of a faithful man of God can cover our sins, only Jesus. We read about this in 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 and 19, where it says, we're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, or by traditions handed down by our parents, but rather, he says, we are redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus As of a lamb, there it is, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Only Jesus came to this earth and lived a life without spot and without blemish. Only his blood is powerful. It's the Lamb's book of life because his blood is powerful. And also it's called the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb's book of life, because his blood is so personal to us. It's so personal. It ought to be personal to us. If we're walking with God every day, we know that when we hear Lamb's Book of Life, when we hear Lamb of God, it basically draws us right to the communion. We'll be gathering around that table here in just a little bit. But it ought to be personal to us. The Lamb's blood makes the book possible. The Lamb's blood is very powerful. The Lamb's blood ought to be real personal to us. We sing this song. I know my name is there. Do I know my name is there? My name is in the book of life, Psalm number 534 says. And then it says, Oh, bless the name of Jesus. Rightly so, because his blood is so personal uh, to us. According to Colossians 1 and verse 20. Peace with God is made through the blood of the cross. Blood of the cross. According to Ephesians 2 and verse 13, those of us who were once afar off in Christ Jesus, we're now made near to the Lord. See, peace and reconciliation and nearness to God are all possible because of the blood of Jesus. We can just read so many verses. What about 1 Peter 3, verse 18? It says, Christ also suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. What about that? It ought to be very personal uh, to us. What about what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21? He who knew no sin became sin in our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God righteousness of God in him this same Psalm number 534 from our song book the second verse says my name once stood with sinners lost and bore a painful record but by his blood the Savior crossed and placed it on his robe Oh, bless the name of Jesus. Absolutely. And so our first observation is simply this. Such a book does exist. Our second observation is it is called the Lamb's Book of Life for good reason, for great reasons. And we've just noticed a few. Our third observation this morning is that to have our names written in heaven is extremely valuable. That's our third observation together. To have our names written written in heaven is extremely valuable. It's it's just vital to everything uh, that we are. You see, to have our names written in heaven means that uh, we are not headed to hell. Look in your Bibles to Revelation 20 and verse 15. Revelation 20 and verse 15. To have our names written in heaven means we're not headed to hell. Revelation 20 sets up the judgment day, judgment scene. And you'll notice in verse 15 of Revelation 20, all those whose names are not found written in that book are cast into the lake of fire. Notice that. All those whose names are not found written in the book on the day of judgment, all those names not found written in in that book of life on the day of judgment will be cast into the lake of fire. Let your eyes go up to verse 14 of Revelation 20 and notice that this lake of fire is called the second death. You see, we're talking about the book of life that keeps us from the lake of fire. We're talking about the book of life that keeps us out of that second death. Did you know there's a second death? All of us, by and large, we taught this past Sunday night, all of us are going to experience death. We probably can't help that at all. But we don't have to experience second death. We don't have to experience a lake of fire. That's why to have our names written in heaven is so vitally important. It means that we're not headed to hell. But it also means that we are headed to heaven. If you look at Revelation 21 verse 27 again, those in the heavenly city will be there, and their names will be written in the Lamb's book of life. But, But in that heavenly city, there won't be anything unclean won't be anything that makes an abomination there won't be anything that makes a lie but there will be those there whose names are written in the book lamb's book of life you see it's extremely important okay. extremely valuable why because it spells the difference between heaven and hell but it also it gives us a constant source of joy. And I'd like for us to go back to Jesus' statement in Luke 10, verses 17 to 20. Luke 10, verse 20, Jesus said, Rejoice not in this, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, we want to explore that just a minute or two there in Luke 10. But as we, as we begin to explore that in Luke 10, think about how that Jesus expects that our source of joy is to be the fact that we are going to get to go to heaven. He says, don't rejoice in this. And we're going to discover this here in Luke 10, 17 to 20. Okay, But rejoice in the fact that your names are written in heaven. If we can know that, if we can have that strong hope, then we ought to have a constant source of joy. Now what is Jesus talking about here in Luke 10, 17 to 20? Well, of course, He had sent out His disciples on this this commission, and they had been given the ability to do miracles. No harm would come to them. They could tread upon scorpions. They could tread upon serpents. No harm would come, come upon them. And also they had the ability to cast out demons. And that's what they were rejoicing about. They came back to Jesus and they said, even the spirits are subject unto us. And Jesus said, don't rejoice in this. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. See how extremely valuable this book is to us. Okay, Now we can't blame the disciples for being being happy about it this okay if you look at Luke 9 and 39 we meet someone who is possessed with a demon notice behold a spirit takes him Luke 9:39 and he suddenly cries out And it tears him and he foams at the mouth and he bruises him sorely. This is the impact of having a demon within you. To be able to cast out that demon would be something that would be very helpful and that would be something to be happy about. But Jesus says, don't rejoice in this. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Look at Luke 8, verse 27. Luke eight twenty-seven. Meet another man who possessed with a demon. And when he was come forth upon the land, there met him a certain man out of the city who had demons for a long time. He had worn no clothes. And he abode not any per, in, any, in any house, but he, he lived in the tombs. He lived in the cemetery. Okay. Tragic impact of those demon possessions in that day. To be able to cast out a demon would be extremely helpful to someone. And it would cause you to feel good about what you're doing. But Jesus said, don't rejoice in this. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So our third observation is it's extremely valuable to have our names written in heaven now your name may have been on other types of lists there's Dean's List there's Who's Who's List, there's all kinds of lists of honors you may have been selected, you may have been nominated for this and that But is there anything that compares to having your name in the record of God's book? Yesterday, my brother, my younger brother, sent me a picture on the phone. And he was sitting in Tuscaloosa watching Alabama's basketball game. And so he sent me a little video, a little clip, video of the game in progress And so I texted back right quick. I said, I guess this means you're in Tuscaloosa. He said, yes. And then he sent me another picture of someone sitting about two or three rows away, and it was Nick Saban. He took a picture of Nick Saban, only sitting about three seats from him. And I thought, you know, that man, Coach Saban, will probably go down on a list of one of the greatest coaches ever coached football, no doubt. But that does not even compare. That's not even in the same ballpark as having your name written in heaven. If Nick Saban is honest, any man is honest, he will care a lot less about having your name written on some list that will eventually be burned up and gone away. And your your concern will be, is my name written in the book of life? Our third observation is is extremely valuable. Then, our fourth observation about the book of life uh, this morning is to notice the requirements. There are requirements. What are the requirements of having your name recorded, written by God, in the Lamb's book of life? Requirement number one is obedience to the gospel. Think about Philippians chapter 4, 2 and 3. Paul's right there in Philippi, okay? We're so thankful God makes these things plain. There he is in Philippi. There are Christians in Philippi. He mentions several of those, Clement. He mentions Euodia. He mentions Syntyche. He mentions other of his fellow laborers. And he says, we have our names written in the book of life. Well, we have also a record of when Paul first came into Philippi and taught people how to become a Christian. Acts 16.11, Acts 16.30, Paul taught the gospel to both uh, Lydia, who was uh, a resident of Philippi, also the jailer, a resident of Philippi. Acts 16 records the beginnings of the church in Philippi. How do you become a Christian? How did you become a Christian there in Philippi? Well, you read it in Acts 16.11-15 that Lydia... And her household heard the gospel, and eventually they opened their heart to the gospel, and they were baptized for the remission of sin. Same idea with the jailer. In Acts sixteen, verses thirty to thirty-four. Paul taught him the gospel. He was able to believe. He turned from his wicked ways. He and his household were baptized, believing on the Lord, rejoicing uh, with everybody in their household. And so we can see that one requirement, all of these. The jailer and Lydia, but also Euodia and Syntyche and Paul himself and Clements and these other fellow laborers all had gone through the same process to become Christians and their names, having become Christians, were added to the Lamb's book of life. It's interesting that going back to Hebrews 12 and 22 and 23, The writer mentions the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. We read in Acts 2, uh, 41, Those who gladly received his word were baptized, and there were added unto them that day about 3,000 or so." so. So first requirement is obedience to the gospel. Second requirement, staying right here in Philippians 4, is unity. Unity with the brethren. This is what Paul is addressing here with Syntyche and Euodia, they seem to be having some kind of conflict. Paul encourages Clements and another unnamed man. He beseeches them, he exhorts them to be of the same mind of the Lord. He exhorts these ladies to be the same mind of the Lord. He beseeches this other man to get involved and make sure these ladies are working together because they're all fellow laborers with the Lord. And if we're going to go to heaven if we're going to have our names written in the Lamb's book of life, if we're going to keep our name there, then we must have unity with God's children. You see, the Christian's relationship extends perpendicular, in a perpendicular way, but also in a horizontal way. Those two are not separate. Okay? If we're not right with the the children of God's family, then we cannot be right with God. If we're not right with the Father's child, any Father's child, then we are not right with the Father. Regardless of how many things we may do, regardless of how many other things we may stay away from, regardless of any kind of reputation that we may have, if we're not right with the father's child, and we are not right with the father. We don't make these things up. We read them clearly. 1 John 4 verse 20. 1 John 4 verse 20. John just simply poses the question, how can, you, how, can you, how can you say you love God whom you've not seen and hate your brother whom you have seen? In other words, John is saying, the apostle of love, John is saying, it's impossible to do the same. If you don't have full love for your brother, don't talk about having full love for the father. Don't even talk about it because it's not there. And so one requirement, obedience to the gospel. Second requirement is unity with the brethren. And then the third requirement is victory. Revelation 3 verse 5. Look in your, in your Bibles, Revelation 3 and verse 5. To those who overcome, that means victory. To those who overcome, their names will not be blotted out of the book of life, but rather God will confess their name before the Father. Christ will confess their name before the Father. That's what Jesus is saying here in Revelation 3 and verse 5. He's saying if you overcome your name will not be blotted out of the book of life, but rather I will confess your name before the Father and before the angels in heaven. We must overcome. Regardless of what it is, we must overcome it. We must have victory uh, through Jesus. There can be no other way. Whether it, be, whether it be thoughts that we have, we've got to overcome evil thoughts. Whether it be habits we've fallen into, we've got to overcome those habits. Okay. Whether, it be, whether it be evil people in your life, then you've got to overcome that. Okay. Whether it be how you were brought up as a child, you've got to overcome that. You've got to overcome everything, everything. Only to them who overcome, only to them who have victory through Jesus will the Lamb's book of life, be available. So these three main requirements for our time this morning, obedience to the gospel, unity with the brethren, and then victory uh, through Jesus. No matter what it is, whatever it takes, we must overcome the world. This is the victory, 1 John 5 verse 4. This is the victory that we overcome the world. This is the victory that we can have through Jesus Then our fifth observation is to remember that our names can be blotted out. And you just read that if you were reading Revelation 3 and verse 5. Our names can be blotted out. Jesus makes this clear. Now our names can be written there, but our names can also be blotted out. For our names to be blotted out, that means to be cut off from God's favor. Galatians 5 verse 4 mentions being severed from Christ, being cut off from Christ. So to be blotted out, have your name blotted out is to be cut off from God's uh, favor. To have your name blotted out, that means to go back to the world from which you were delivered. To have our name blotted out, that means our, our condition is now worse than it was. Peter says in 2 Peter 2, 20 and 21, It would have been better for you not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turned away from the holy commandment given unto you. It would have been better not to have never known it. Now, not to have never known the gospel means you're going to be lost. But there's something worse than that. There's there's even a greater punishment than that, and that is to to have once come to know it, to once have your name there, and then to turn from it. What a tragedy. And so these five observations, we'll continue these a little bit later, but these five to get us started, there is such a book. It is called The Land's Book of Life. It's the most valuable book that can ever be um, encountered. It's extremely valuable. It has requirements. And then finally, your name can be blotted out. You know, God's pencil. God has a pencil. And just like any pencil that we are familiar with, it has both a point and it has an eraser. And God uses both. He records the names. Of the faithful. But he also erases those who go back to the world. The book of life. The book of life. Can we be encouraged together this morning to obey the gospel, to continue to obey the gospel, to hold true to God's will? And this morning, if there's any spiritual need that needs to be met, If there's any particular burden that you might be holding in your heart, we invite you to come home to Jesus right now as we stand together, as we sing, Brother Paul.